0: This message first aired on the radio on June 22nd, 2004. We come to the end of the third chapter today of the Epistle to the Ephesians, and we're going to take up a little bit where we left off yesterday as we try to go consecutively through this very deep epistle. We are taking our time, and we aren't really halfway through the epistle yet, but we're taking our time because there's heavy sledding here. We're in deep waters. We're in... A portion of Scripture that requires our great concentration, and it requires our meditation, as this doctrinal portion of the Epistle to the Ephesians, which is the, uh, as we call it, the Epistle to the Ephesians, which is the apex of Christian doctrine, which is substantially a doctrinal epistle, uh, brings to our thoughts uh, the deep things of God, and the detailed knowledge of God is truly necessary and uh, aided Uh, by the study uh, necessary for and aided by the study of the epistle to the Ephesians. Now we want to look at God's purpose in the uh, work that the Apostle Paul was given and in order to do that we have to pick up where we left off that Paul was saying he was made a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the gift of grace given unto, unto him and the effectual working of his power And remember, we need to understand that God comes to us with abounding grace, so that He might come to us with abounding power to enable us to do uh, His will. And so, the Christian life might, the successful Christian life might be looked at in this way: Uh, We look for abounding grace, or grace abounding to us, or toward us. We continue to look for grace for what we what we need from God. That's what grace is. His great grace to us, uh, to, and also His power uh, to us. Because though we have great grace, we still lack power, and so we also look for His power. Now, what is the purpose of His grace and power? His purpose and, of, the purpose of His grace and power to, toward us are that we might do His will. Well, how can we do His will except we know His will? That's why the Apostle Paul said and prayed that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will for ourselves in order that we would then be filled with the Spirit of God, which is to say that we would be fully graced, that we would use the grace of God and depend upon the grace of God uh, that is for us to do that will, and that we would depend upon the power of God to do that will. And that's what the Apostle says I was made a minister, he knew the will of God, he knew the abounding grace of God, and he knew the effectual working of his power, all this in Ephesians 3, 7, unto me who am the least, less than the least of all saints, and of course he classed himself as less than the least of all the believers, because his background was that he hailed the believers and dragged them into prison and so forth, he persecuted the church. In fact, he was in agreement with the murder of Stephen, and so he classes himself less than the least of all saints, and not, not only all saints, but immediately in view, of course, as he was less than the least of all the apostles. He was so regarded that way, not by God, but by men. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, he says, I'm the le- the less than the least of all saints, but unto me is this grace given, verse 8, that I should preach among the Gentiles the untraceable riches of Christ. Now, let me pause for a moment about riches, and I, I think that I'll just use the opportunity to talk about riches, because, well, one, it's what you're interested in, it's what almost everybody's interested in, is riches. Now, it just happens that in our generation, the whole world is given over to the pursuit of riches. It's not that much different than any other generation. I guess it's just a little more obvious to me. I don't know if that's because people changed or because I just uh, have my eyes open. But the open, continuous pursuit for riches is an overwhelming uh, motivation among men. It's overwhelmingly the the reason that people do what they do. And You can Predict the motivation of people by finding out where the riches are. But with God, the riches of this world, He uses them as His favorite testing ground. And He wants to see if we'll be covetous. He wants to see if we'll want those things that He does not want for us. He wants to see if we will be faithful with the false riches. And the false riches, or the ersatz riches, are the riches of this world. God uses them to test us. that They're great testing ground, and so now those are traceable riches. Those are accounted for riches. But these which he was given, because God counted him faithful, are the untraceable riches, or the true riches of Christ. And let me assure you that if you're unfaithful in the false riches, the ersatz riches, then God will not count you faithful to entrust you with the true riches. Why do you think that there's so much ignorance of the Scripture around when there's so much abundance of time and materials to learn it? Well, let me tell you, it has a lot to do with the riches of this world. But to Paul was given uh, the job of preaching among the Gentiles the untraceable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the dispensation of the mystery? And now dispensation is something biblical here. Uh, the dispensation of the ministry, the dispensation of the grace of God. verse two verse seven, uh, eight, uh, excuse me, verse two and verse 9 of uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 3. Tells us that a particular administration, stewardship, or dispensation, or however you want to translate that word, which means the giving of something or the st- handling as a steward, uh, something that is entrusted to you, this was given to the Apostle Paul. This was not given to anyone else. This dispensation or administration of the mystery of the church, which is his body, was given to him to disclose at the exact proper time and the exact proper time is when he is the prisoner of the Lord, uh, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And now is the right time to disclose this mystery and so he's disclosing it here uh, in full uh, whereas before he had disclosed it only a little uh, and we looked at that last time in Romans 16. Now he says to make all men see what is the uh, what is the dispensation of the ministry or all see. Well, the context here of all is believers. He wants all believers to see what is the dispensation of the mystery. So, of course, one of the things that we are most blind about, even in this day when the Word of God is so available to us, and the tools to study the Word of God are so good and also so freely available, what is it that characterizes us most? It is our ignorance of the dispensation of the mystery. And so we... we Come across uh, many. I came across a young woman last night just uh, having difficulty telling me that the mystery of the church, which is his body, was disclosed at Pentecost, which she claimed was the birthday of the church. Well, Pentecost is the day that the Holy Spirit came, and we read in the scripture that that is the day when Pentecost was fully come. That means that that's the day that Pentecost was fulfilled. Now, Pentecost was fulfilled with the coming of the Holy Spirit, dispatched by the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father, proceeding from them, dispatched when he arrived in the highest heavens. After he had been glorified, the Holy Spirit came personally, just like he said, and Pentecost was fulfilled. That was a series of fulfillments. As the Lord Jesus Christ had fulfilled Passover, he had fulfilled first firstfruits, uh, he had fulfilled the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And now here, uh, the, the, in the sending of the Holy Ghost, Pentecost was fulfilled. Those first feasts, which spoke of future things, uh, first four of seven feasts, were f- fulfilled at the moment that Pentecost was fulfilled. That fulfilled the this the springtime, or the first four feasts. The last three feasts of the Feast of Israel are yet to be fulfilled. The, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, The Feast of Booths, uh, this, uh, or Tabernacles, however you care to describe it, these will yet be fulfilled uh, with Israel. And all of these are fulfilled in the context of Israel. The Holy Spirit came to all Jews assembled in the upper room. These were believing Jews. And immediately they went out and gave a message to the rest of the Jews who were gathered together at the Feast of Pentecost, explaining to them concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and the coming of the promise of the Holy Spirit as an offer, a genuine offer, of the kingdom of the heavens and the kingdom uh, that was promised to Israel was being made to the nation of Israel for them to reject. Now, that's what they ended up doing. That's what we have now, and of course God opened up a new dispensation, a dispensation of the mystery. And all of us are supposed to see that, that God opened up a new dispensation, the new dispensation of the mystery, where there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, where there is a new creation in Christ, and all of us are supposed to see that. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9. On the other hand, we have so many Who have taught for many years, and some of them uh, eminent Bible students, and some of them reasonably good Bible students in different ways, teaching us that Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Well, what church are you talking about? Are you talking about the church at Jerusalem? If you're talking about the church at Jerusalem, okay, I kind of understand what you're saying there, but why are you saying that when in fact it was the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost? That that, that, that that Pentecost was fully come, and that it is Jewish in nature, that fulfillment, and that the church, while in view because it's coming, that it did not happen to the church, especially the church, which is Christ's body. That is a mystery that is, that is not able to be made known until the Lord frees the apostle Paul to do it. Now, certainly it wasn't known in Acts chapter 2, When the holy spirit first came and fulfilled pentecost because the apostle paul was in enmity against the lord jesus christ at that time and wasn't even introduced to christ until acts chapter 9 so these are detailed things that we need to see and acknowledge and of course satan and his enemy and our enemies enemies are arrayed against that teaching and what does it end up doing is it ends up confusing the church with israel then the church wants to replace israel with itself we have all manner of confusion we don't cut the word of god straight we don't look at the divisions of scripture which which divide jew gentile church of god we misunderstand the church which is his body and inside of it try to make distinctions between jewish believers and gentile believers and it's a very great mess but here the apostles work was to make all see what is the dispensation of the mystery which from the beginning of the war of the ages was hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ now i want to focus on 10 through 12 we took it up a little bit yesterday but i want to really bring focus to it because it says to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church The manifold wisdom of God. Now, here is picked off two of uh, some entities in the earth, or in the heavens, to to whom God has something to say, and they are principalities and powers. Now, there are more entities in the heavens than principalities and powers. In fact, when we come to uh, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, uh, we're going to see that uh, we Wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is Ephesians 6.12 that I'm reading. Not against flesh and blood. So anybody that you see, anybody that's walking around, flesh and blood, that's not who we wrestle against. We also don't wrestle according to flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against rulers of the darkness of this world, against wicked spirits in high places. Now, principalities and powers, these are spirit entities, principalities and powers. We saw them in the book of Daniel. When when you read the book of Daniel, you read about... Uh, pr- certain princes. You read about the prince of Grecia. You read about the prince of Persia. You read about the prince of the nation Israel who is Michael said to be your prince to Daniel. You read about the princes in the heaven which are angelic beings. And by the way, you can see that there's a struggle among them. There are those who are in favor of the Lord Jesus Christ and who are in favor of God God's will. There are those who oppose God's will. Now, we uh, as uh, heavenly people seated in Christ, are here to demonstrate to prince and principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God in choosing that and and what is it that God has done? He has chosen us in Christ Jesus before the world was overthrown, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. So, what's the wisdom in that? Well, the wisdom in that is God has elevated a man into the heavens, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's placed him above the angels. And now in the high heavenly places, God is interested in a demonstration. You say, well, why is God interested in a demonstration? Well, that's what he began with the cross of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Jesus Christ not only was effectual in working our salvation, it not only had an earthward aspect to those of us who are uh, human beings and live on the earth, but it also had a an heavenward a- aspect. And what, what the cross did, according to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, has an earthward and heavenward Application. We'll look at Colossians 2:14 here, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, or having blotted out the writings uh, that were against us, the handwritings that were against us, uh, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. This is the law. Uh, This is that which is written that is against us. That's the law. Uh, Took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Verse 15, having spoiled. Principalities and powers. Well, what does it mean to spoil them? Well, what it means is that he uh, took what they had. He took what they had. He spoiled them. He, in, in fact, the word literally means he put off principalities and powers. Now, those who, those whom he put off, uh, he is now trying to qualify a people to replace. He put off principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly. That is to say, he exposed them. And he exposed them in a way that they should be, become derided or infamous. And uh, he triumphed over them in his cross. Now, those that he triumphed over, and those that he showed to be uh, unworthy, and those that he put off, he now is demonstrating to them those who follow him. And in so doing, he is qualifying those who follow him to rule and reign in their place." And that's a marvelous thought, and it's a lost thought. It's a thought that we scarcely ever think about, and yet it is the thought that the Apostle Paul wrote the epistles that all of us should see. We're going to come back and look some more. I'm John Malone. This is BibleStudy.net. As we talk about the principalities and powers where the manifold wisdom of God is to be made known. and I, I know I reference some of these scriptures and this may be new to many of you. Uh, I, I'm caught with the thought that perhaps it's good for us to delve into the book of Daniel a little bit and just see the section to which I alluded. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 10. And Daniel chapter 10 starts out, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing, and had understanding of the vision. In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled." Now, Daniel here is talking about a vision that he got, and the vision was true. The time appointed was far in advance, uh, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision, and now he went into what he calls mourning here. He said, those days I was mourning three full weeks. Now, this is a period of time where he is saddened. He goes through 21 days here. He uh, is uh going into fasting, and here, uh, 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 apparently not a complete fast, but uh, he goes into humbling himself for three weeks, and then in the four-and-twentieth day of the month, he's by the side of the great river which is Hedekel. Now this is the third year of Cyrus the king in Persia. Uh, Cyrus came in and took Babylon in a single night, and this is three years later. Daniel is a quite aged man at this time, and uh nearly ninety years old uh we we can estimate he's about eighty nine years old uh, as we understand the time frame of scripture and here is Cyrus in, and he is uh, uh Daniel is giving himself to understand the things of God and by the way, go ahead and give yourself to understand understand the things of God sometimes they'll trouble you and you'll come across a period of time maybe like Daniel does where you're troubled about something and you determine uh, that you'll give yourself to a private time of prayer and and try to understand a little further uh, what you know. Now, uh, uh, Daniel in the four-and-twentieth day, he says, "...he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, there was a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with a fine gold of euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for men that were with me did not see the vision, but a great, a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled and hid themselves." Therefore I was left alone, and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me unto corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep upon my face, and my face on the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, Daniel, O man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Well, there's a lot to be said here, but let me just say that Daniel has this marvelous visitation here. Uh, this is uh, uh, could be a theophany. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, we won't we won't go into the details of who he saw here, but we're going to go into the details of what the message given to him is here, where he says uh, in verse 11, and he sa- where he writes in verse 11, and he said to me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved. First of all, let me tell you that Daniel won an accolade. Abraham won an accolade after he sacrificed Isaac uh, on the altar, and in in Genesis uh, chapter 20. Three, when he took Isaac up uh, for sacrifice, then he received an accolade. And th- th- we learn that in the book of James where he, Abraham believed God. Uh, that had been done already and it was counted to him for righteousness. And uh, Abraham was called the friend of God. He received an accolade. That is, he received praise. And uh, here now, uh, Daniel also receives praise from God, where he is said to be greatly beloved. And now he said, I, I, uh, from the Fear not, Daniel. From the first day you set your heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Well, this was the number of days uh, where Daniel was... Uh, praying and fasting, and the prince, there was this one called the prince or the ruler of the uh, kingdom of Persia uh, confronted and withstood uh, this one who is sent to Daniel. Now, uh, is this one uh, the Lord himself? Uh, is Is this a theophany of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, some would think so. I think it's possible. Certainly Daniel falls down and he's not told uh, not to, uh, so that's some indication here uh, that it could be. But but whether or not we see the spiritual conflict, we see that this one says, there that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now, Cyrus is the king of Persia, and he's the one who overtook Babylon. And so we see that behind the world ruler here, be, behind the world ruler, and the world ruler uh, is is uh Cyrus who is a chosen vessel of the Lord but he's a r- world ruler and behind the nation of Persia is the this heavenly prince of Persia who withstood the messenger and it says but lo Michael one of the chief princes and now we see that among the princes there uh, in, the, in the heavens there are chief princes. We may call these archangels. Uh, this is Michael. He's one of the chief princes. He came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And, and so, uh, in fact, uh, this this word "I" shouldn't be there. He he came to help me and remained there with the kings of Persia. So Michael came to help. An angelic creature sent to help. And now I am come to make the. And he was left. Uh, Michael's not coming to Daniel. And it says in verse 14, Now I am come to thee to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is for many days. Which, of course, Daniel knew that, but now his understanding is going to be open. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. So he now became without any words at all. And... Behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? For as for me, straightway, there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. And there came again and touched me one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, "'Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong.' And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, "'Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me.' Then he said, "'Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come.' But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, there is nothing that holds with me in these things but Michael, your prince." Now our purpose is not to give exposition today to the great prophecies of Daniel chapter 11 and how they were fulfilled and how they are not yet fulfilled, and, and and go into those details. But just to point out that here was a particular part portion of time where Daniel wanted to know the uh, uh, something. Uh, something was revealed to him. He wanted a clearer understanding. He began to pray for it, and the heavens moved in response to his prayer. God dispatched his messenger to answer Daniel. But the heavens were in great conflict, and only Michael in the heavenly places, among the princes, uh, uh, principalities, only Michael, who is the prince of the nation of Israel, only Michael held with the Lord against the princely rebellion in the heavens. This gives us some knowledge of how the heavens are arrayed and organized against the truth. Now, that was at the time of Daniel that that the the heavens were uh, so uh, arrayed against God, there's no indication that anything changed within the heavens except that the Lord Jesus Christ as a man conquered these principalities in his cross. Now, his purpose, with the fullness of his body, having triumphed in the cross, as we read in Colossians chapter 2 is to make evident. This is, is, this is a part of God's age-abiding uh, purpose. We read in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11 that, and in verse 10, "...to the intent now unto these principalities and powers..." and apparently the principalities are the highest form, and the powers are another grouping of angelic beings, of heavenly beings, who uh, are in collusion with the principalities in order to deceive the whole world and in order to take the worship that is due to Jesus Christ away from him and bring it to themselves and according to the eternal purpose which god purposed in Christ Jesus his intention is to sh- is to show that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of god now god has has decided not only to triumph over these principalities by a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's also showing off those he's qualifying to take their place. And by the way, that is the ordinary position and the ordinary story in the heavens of every ordinary church. Don't think that because you're a member of the body of Christ that you are a church. I talk all the time with Christians who think they can practice the fellowship, they can practice the dispensation the mystery, being all by themselves, uh, listening to, maybe listening to the radio or the internet, studying the Bible all on their own. That's not what God has for us. God has wants and desires a local expression with gathered believers, that, whereby in the gathering of the believers he can show in the heavenly places these principalities and powers, these angelic beings, the great triumph that Christ has worked not only in his cross for him as the Lord Jesus Christ himself has been exalted to the highest place, that is true, but also that he is the head of a new humanity, that he is the head leading many sons to glory, and that there's a day coming, a certain day coming, when those principalities and powers who've been hostile to the Lord Jesus Christ since before the foundation of the world will be replaced by those chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Well, we need to hear this. We need to understand the grand drama of the body of Christ, and that God has an intention way, way above uh, these things that we hear, the mundane things that we hear all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with feeding the hungry or clothing the naked, or are we clothing the hungry and feeding the naked. I think that's all tied up in government contracts at this time. But that God is interested in demonstrating in the highest heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God by the church. I know I'm spending a couple of hours here in the, in Ephesians uh, up to the twelfth verse of the third chapter, but this is really important stuff, my, my friends, and this is something that is generally not spoken about, has been lost, it's right here in the Bible, it's been lost out of our Bibles because we're so busy talking about money and other mundane things. This is the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now verse 12, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by his faith. Now listen, in order to show to the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God, that's a far stretch from this earthly scene. Yet we have in Christ boldness. This is freedom of speech. This is in this is this is the inner boldness that this is the inner spirit working out in our lives making us freely speak about the things of God it takes boldness to live the Christian life it takes boldness to declare the truths these very deep truths of the scripture to one another and to the heavenly places and to the principalities and powers in the highest heavenly places but we have boldness and access. Now, that is to say, we have personal boldness, and we have immediate access. We have uh, introduction into the highest heavens, and boldness therefore because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have also one other thing here. Uh, not only do we have boldness, and not only have we been introduced to these great principles, and to this great purpose, which is called God's eternal purpose of the ages, but we also have a very confidence, a a confident assurance, because we have put our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And our access is disclosed not only in the death of Christ, where the temple, where the temple veil was rent top to bottom, but the Scripture says we have a new and living way whereby we can boldly enter, because the Lamb of God is, is so powerful Uh, The blood of Christ is so powerful that it is a freshly slain way. It is just as if the Lord Jesus Christ, just this second, triumphed over uh, those principalities and powers in his cross, spoiled them, brought them into shame, and this is the confidence and the assurance that we have in the victory that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to take up the rest of Ephesians chapter 3 when we come back. You're listening to BibleStudy.net. I'm John Malone. Now the Apostle comes into the last portion of the third chapter, the epistle of the Ephesians, and he comes with some exhortations and frankly he comes with just doxologies of praise to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ because having written this marvelous and magnificent truth concerning the ages to come, concerning the heavenly sphere in which the believer uh, uh, walks and operates. Uh, This is about our day-to-day life. This is the position that God has given us. This is the walk God has given us to. He's prepared us with works. He's given us great grace. He's given us great power. And He wants to fill us with the knowledge of His will. So the Apostle now says, In verse 13, Wherefore, because of all this, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, you may say, well, why would they faint at his tribulations? Well, they'll faint at his tribulations because they know that he is encouraging them along the path that he is on. And he says, look, I don't want you to be cast down at the tribulations that I'm in. And by the way, this this happens to us. We'll see someone whose teaching we will follow. We begin, of course, God has ordained that those that we follow in life and that we're taught by in life, we should see something of their lives. This is what happens in the church and even though not everybody who read this epistle knew the apostle paul personally i'm sure there were quite many churches that read this epistle that never got to know him personally at least they got to know him by his writings they get to know about him by his teachings, and they hear about some of what goes on in his life. And of course he's notorious at this stage in his life. He's notoriously imprisoned, and that could be a, a discouraging matter. You might be cast down about that if you don't have a heavenly perspective. You'll say, well, they finally arrested our leader, and he's, he's stuck in house arrest, and uh, what will become of him, immediately the thought comes in, what will become of me?" So he says, I desire that you're not cast down, that's literally what he says, that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. He said, look, my tribulations for you, this is the hounding, that the same hounding that followed around the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the enmity that is against Jesus Christ, and it's foisted upon, upon uh, us by principalities and powers in the heavenly places who don't desire to have their deal spoiled, even though they saw openly the triumph of Jesus Christ. It's one thing for Jesus Christ to triumph over them. It's a whole other thing for him to bring into play thousands, hundreds, millions, however many it is, of faithful believers who will supplant us which is what Jesus Christ is doing. Now he says, for this cause. For what cause? Well, for the cause of what he's just described. For the heavenly cause and program that is the eternal purpose in Christ to raise uh, humanity above the angels. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, we have a problem with this word family. If we're not careful, we'll think that everybody in heaven and everybody in earth is in one big, happy family, or maybe we'll think that every one who is in heaven and in earth are uh different are are who is good, or who is according to the will of God, is one family, and everybody who's against the will of God is in another family. But that's not at all what the Scriptures teaching. The Scripture is not teaching that the church is made up partly of uh, former Jews and former Gentiles, and then of different uh, a- angels that are in different categories. No, not at all. But really, instead of the whole family, this is of whom every paternity in heaven and earth is named. And that is that God as Father, God is eternally the Father. And as the creator of all things, he is the Father of all living beings. And we're learning about two different classes of living beings here in Ephesians chapter 3, principalities and powers. When we go to the sixth chapter, we'll read about a couple of others. Uh, We will see that there's not only uh, prince and principalities and powers, but the rulers of the darkness of this world, wicked spirits in high places. When we look back in Daniel, we saw that among the princes were also chief princes or archangels. And uh, who knows how many different family or classes of angels they are. But whoever obeys God the Father, who's ever in their right place, these families are named Uh, according to their fatherhood, which is God the Father. Now here he says the whole family in the heavens in, in the heavens and the earth are named after God the Father, of course, as the Creator. This is marvelous truth. We are seeing disclosures about the heavenly places here in the book of the Ephesians. And why wouldn't we? We're seated in the heavenly places in Christ. We walk a heavenly life. We're a heavenly designated people Why wouldn't there be disclosures in the scriptures about the heavens for us? Well, there are, my friend, and that is what we ought to be paying attention to. Now, verse 16, of course, you say, Well, I don't see that or I don't hear that kind of thing. Well, here's what it says here's the prayer in uh, the remember the apostle saying, "I, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's because he's praying. Verse 16 that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with with might by his Spirit in the inner man." Now, he says, look, this isn't about going to the health club. This isn't about weightlifting. This isn't about calisthenics. This is not about aerobic or anaerobic exercise. This is about being strengthened in the inner man. Now, it is the case that we all have an inner man. This this is a reference in verse 16 where he talks about the inner man. He's talking about the new man. This corresponds to the new man that's created in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Well, the new man is part of the new creation. This is the this is Holy Spirit given to us, the new nature. By the way, this is also the reason why there's such conflict in Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul says he's at war with himself. He's got a new nature. He's got an old nature. The struggle of two natures in the believer, he says, well, we need to strengthen the new nature. And my prayer is that his spirit would strengthen your your new nature. And what he's saying, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And of course, you see, the even Daniel, when he just learned of the disclosure of things to come and the activities in the heavens, Daniel became very weak. Uh, he couldn't even stand. He lost all of his strength. Well, that's what happens to us. We need to be strengthened in the inner man. That Christ, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, I want to say something about this, because we've turned these kind of uh, scriptures into some kind of ridiculous notion, in some kind of ridiculous notion. And, uh, you know, I can't help it that some Puritan writer looked at the Epistle to the Laodiceans where the Lord Jesus Christ is knocking on a door saying, if any will open to me, I'll abide with him, and 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 he with I and my Father will abide with him, and that we're in this age, and that some Puritan writer entitled a book Christ knocking at the door of sinners' hearts and misinterpreted that passage of Scripture, wrote a great big thick book that nobody wants to read, but they lift the title up and then tell little children, especially, to ask Jesus into your heart. Listen, this is a prayer for the mature Christian, that Christ may dwell in your hearts, this is in your mind, by faith. Now, what this is all about is not about inviting Jesus into your heart. It's not about some six-inch Jesus that lives in your heart. It's nothing so silly as we've made it. And will you please stop stumbling the kids? Because little children know to believe what you tell them. And quit asking, quit telling them to invite Jesus into their hearts. That's not the gospel. It's not anywhere in the Bible. Just knock it off. And why don't you instead... Uh, See this prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Well, with the heart man believes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Here, Christ dwelling in the heart by faith means the person of Christ and the personality of Christ. He was not fearful. He was not weak. He steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. He who was the one who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame. He kept focused on the joy. He never lost focus. That Christ would be formed in our hearts by faith. We have the ability... To comp- And, the, and the, the, we ought to know the mind of Christ and be filled with the will of God. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I always do those things that please my Father, not my will, but your will be done. This is Christ in the inner man. This is Christ dwelling in our hearts, not some strange way, not some mystical way, but by faith. And that's how Christ dwells in the heart, by faith, and faith alone, by the way, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. Now here, uh, I know there are those who say, look, you've got four dimensions here, breadth, length, depth, height. Now if you look at the details of that, you'll see that we live in four dimensions. And I agree with that thought here, by the way. I believe that God is trying to introduce us into a different dimension of living. I think that's a very uh, uh, precious thought. Uh, We are seated in the heavenly places in Christ. From that perspective, we are enabled to see a, a vast distance. We're enabled to see the things by faith that we can't see with our eyes. In fact, here is disclosed to us the whole heavenly realm. And not only that, not only can we see a a great space, but we know that space and time are on the same continuum. We've learned that. We think we've learned that, at least, in physics. And we can also see time. We have a perspective from the heavenly places, seated in Christ, where we see the beginning from the end. And were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. So frankly, friends, as Christians, with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the inner man, the grace of God, the power of God, every bless, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we are enabled to see the entire purpose of God from time past to time future all set before us in the Word of God. Therefore, is the prayer that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith and that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. Now that has to do, by the way, you cannot love except you're with other believers. This is Christian love and it is expressed primarily to your fellow believer. And then it says that you could comprehend with all saints. And so you need to be with the saints. Actually the word here uh, is the saints, just with the saints. You can't be with all of them, but you can be with some of them. And I know the old saw, and I understand the truth of it. Oh, to be above with the saints in love, that would be glory. But to be here below with the saints that I know, that's another story. I get that. I know as you become familiar with your brothers and sisters, it's hard to keep a heavenly perspective because they have this same conflict of the old nature and the new nature going on that you have. But here it is, with all saints, or with the saints, that you would be able to comprehend with the saints. Listen, you're not going to comprehend with the saints unless you are with the saints. So don't go to some radio church, don't go to an internet church, don't go to the bedside Baptist church. Uh, get yourself in a local church. You say, well, uh, there isn't one. Well, God will raise one up for you then. It is possible for you to have local fellowship in a church with believers, and uh, they can help you, and you can love them, and you can help them. You can be kind. You can arrange your life for their benefit. And I know this is true, because I've experienced this truth in my own life. I realize it's impossible to have happy fellowship in a biblical church with other believers. Nonetheless, it happens. And that's exactly what's happened for me, and it can also happen for you. Now, and to know, well here, to comprehend with all saints the breadth, length, depth, and height. Look, Four dimensions, this God opens to you. Uh, in fact, he removes the limitation of time and space on your biblical perspective, and therefore you can comprehend the entire plan of God. Only a Christian can do so. No one in any other age could do such a thing. Daniel and the prophets, they wondered what manner of time the Spirit in them was speaking of, and yet we have a complete and total perspective on time. Why do we neglect these great spirits, spiritual blessings that are open to us, except for that we need strength in the inner man because we're in the conflict with that old man who's trying to run our lives. And to know the love of Christ, by the way, verse 19, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness, this is our friend Pleroma, the fullness of God. It's amazing, the church, which is his body, is called to be the fullness of Christ, and together we can be full filled with the fullness of God, filled with His purpose, filled with the knowledge of His will, filled with an understanding of His plan, uh, uh, knowing the works that we have to walk in, fully graced, fully empowered, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ is available to us. No wonder then that the Apostle ends this marvelous chapter of Scripture, where he says now unto him verse 20 that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us unto him be glory where in the church glory in the church that's the local church my friend unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end amen he breaks into a doxology great glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, unto him be glory in the church from every age, including this age. You've been listening to BibleStudy.net. I'm John Malone, and may you get a blessed meditation in these scriptures.